This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Are you ready for some high adventure? Coming up next on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. The Mysteries of Dr. John Thorndike. Thorndike is the original fictional forensic detective from the early 1900s, using science to aid the art of detection to bring criminals to justice. This time presenting The Red Thumbprint, written by R. Austin Freeman, adapted for radio by Heather Elliott. I say, Thorndike, is that you? Jervis, what brings you to the heart of London? Looking for work, unfortunately. A brilliant physician like yourself out of work? Say it isn't so. It is so. And you, dressed up like a barrister with wig and gown? My old classmate isn't in the medical field any longer. I still dabble here and there. Looking for work, you say, Jervis? Yes. You might be just who I'm looking for. Here's my card and address. I have a proposition for some paid work. Come around for dinner at 7. Afterward, we'll have a chat by the fire. If it's not an imposition, nonsense. I must be off now. I'm due in court shortly. Dinner was excellent. Thank you. But I'm dying to know what sort of work you do now. Not medical, not judicial, yet some of both. After we graduated, I stayed at the college and earned my MD and Doctor of Science degrees. Just as I was ready to apply for a coronership, Old Stedman, you remember Old Stedman. Uh, the lecturer of medical jurisprudence. That's the same fellow. He retired unexpectedly, and I put in for the post. Rather to my surprise, I got the position of lecturer. But you plead in court, I see. Well, more usually, I appear as a scientific witness. I merely direct investigations, arrange and analyze the results, and prime the counsel with facts and suggestions for cross-examination. A great deal more interesting than acting as an understudy for an absent general practitioner, as I've been doing the past six years. Oh, who can that be? Yes, what is it? It's rather late for a business call, but my client was anxious to see you. All right, come in, Mr. Lolly, come in. I'm afraid our visit is a most unseasonable one. If we really are inconveniencing you, Dr. Thorndike, my business must wait. I take it your business is the kind that will not wait. Please, have a seat by the fire. I'll give you a general outline of the case. My client, Reuben Hornby, can fill in details and answer any questions. Carry on, Lolly. Reuben occupies a position of trust in his uncle's business, primarily the testing and refining of gold sent from mines in South Africa. Suffice to say, the utmost care is taken to prevent valuable goods from being on the premises overnight. If they must, they are kept in a locked safe in John Hornby's office, which is guarded day and night. Might I surmise that something occurred while a valuable article was locked in the safe? There was a parcel of rough diamonds placed in the safe by myself. I suppose the diamonds have gone missing without a trace? And there is substantial proof you were involved? <laughs> yes! I can assure you I did not take them. A fingerprint made from blood was found on a note paper in the office, as well as a few drops of blood in the safe. The culprit must have cut his finger. 
A fingerprint? Remarkably clear fingerprint. Of a thumb, to be precise. And? Through unfortunate circumstances, the fingerprint has been identified as that of Reuben Hornby. Ha <laughs> ha! The plot thickens. Where is the bloody fingerprint now? Scotland Yard has it. They're sure it's mine, since it matches in every respect. Hmm. And how would they know that? My dear aunt was mortified at the suspicion cast at my cousin and I, and offered her assistance to the inspectors. Hmm. How? Ever heard of a thumbograph? Yes. Those notebooks that come with a small plate of ink and a roller for you to get the thumbprints from your friends. Bit of a party novelty these days. My cousin Walter bought one and gave it to Auntie. It had all our fingerprints in it. The dear old soul thought she was doing us a good turn and took it down to the yard. Next thing, I've been arrested for robbery this morning and released on 1,000 pound bail. (laughs) Don't look so despondent, Hornby. Would you be so kind as to allow me to take some fingerprints of my own? As many as you'd like, sir. Oh, you have company. Uh, Pardon me. May I introduce Miss Juliet Gibson? Miss Gibson, my good friend and colleague, Dr. Christopher Jervis. Pleased to meet you, Dr. Jervis. Miss Gibson stopped by to offer her services in the defense of Reuben. We're friends, although he's been as a brother for several years. Miss Gibson is offering her inheritance to pay for my fees. But it is up to young Hornby and his barrister to accept, not I. Your friendship is most practical, though perhaps you might be of other assistance. In what way? Might you be willing to answer a few apparently impertinent questions? Nothing you consider important is impertinent. (laughs) Very well. Have you any special ties with Reuben? Uh, No, there are no romantic feelings between Reuben and I. His cousin Walter has asked me to marry him several times, but I have no desire to marry Walter, and I have made it quite clear to him. How long have you known Reuben, then? Six years. And his character? Speaking from my own observations of him, I can say I have never known Reuben to tell an untruth or do a dishonorable deed. His habits are inexpensive and frugal. He is unambitious to a fault. And in respect to the obvious opportunity my fortune presents, Reuben is as indifferent as Walter is keen. He is generous, though careful and industrious. If you would leave your card, Dr. Jervis and I will keep you informed and ask for your assistance as needed. Of course. Here you are. Have a good afternoon. Good day. Mr. Singleton, Dr. Thorndike here to see you. How do you do, Doctor? I can guess you want to see that thumbprint, eh? Hey, quite right. This is my good friend and temporary colleague, Dr. Christopher Jervis. Jervis, Harold Singleton here at Scotland Yard Fingerprint Department. Pleased. Allies on the last case, eh, Thorndike? But I'll put you in checkmate on this one. There you have it. One bloody fingerprint. Exact in every way to the ones I took from Reuben myself. I see that. May I take some photographs of this? I've brought my own camera, plates, and microscope. Microscope? I have some enlargements in the file. I'll take my own, if you don't mind. Specialized lenses and stands, you see. Use the table across the room. Much obliged. This equipment is heavy. If you'll excuse me, Inspector Johnson can assist you further. (laughs) And to see I don't pocket the original. Oh, I'll see to that. Over here, gentlemen. A few plates of images should give me enough information. You've been rather quiet, Jervis. Hmm? You hardly said a word to our charming visitor this morning. Or on the walk to Scotland Yard. Here we are, halfway home again. Uh, Just thinking of 
about the case. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I have the perfect task for my new temporary business partner. What might that be? Go around to the Hornby. You'll have to ask Miss Juliet for more information. See where the thermograph is, and if you can, get permission for us to photograph it. Good visit to the Hornbys? Lovely. I thought maybe. So, what did you find out? Let's see. Reuben is an industrious worker at his business and enjoys ancient and medieval arts. Possibly a babbling fool or a ladies' man, but more likely a maligned and much abused man. His cousin Walter is obviously a sneak and possibly a liar. Also, a keen man of business with perhaps a finger in the financial happenings of unsavory businessmen. According to Mrs. Hornby, Walter is an expert photographer and competent in developing, enlarging, and duplicating photographs. Ah, excellent day's work, Jervis. Now, have you formulated any theories from the facts you've gathered? A few. Good. Uh, keep them to yourself so I don't feel obliged to share mine. I should be very surprised if you did. Your theories are for your clients and not to entertain your friends. <laughs> I'm really quite grateful you said that, for I do feel rather awkward keeping you in the dark when you are doing me a favor by helping out on the case. I'm so glad to make your acquaintance, Dr. Thorndyke. I've heard so much about you from Julia. Really, Mrs. Hornby, you give the wrong impression. I merely mentioned that I intruded upon him without notice, and he has been very considerate. Well, thank you for your willingness to help us. Oh, it's no trouble at all. Poor Reuben, I still... Is the thumbograph in your bag? Of course it is, Juliet. You saw me put it there. What an odd girl you are. Do you think I should... Hadn't you better give it to Dr. Thorndyke? What else are we here for? As I was... I'll fetch it for you, Dr. Thorndyke. Here. Thank you, Miss... That first thumbprint belongs to Miss Colley. She... Ah, here's the one we're looking for. Very good impression, too. I shall ask you to leave this little book here with me. If you think that is best. I do. Now, upstairs for a few photographs, if you'll just follow me. What sort of photographs are you taking, Dr. Thorndyke? Why didn't you tell me he was taking photographs? Walter takes such lovely ones. He could have done it for you. Uh, it's best that Dr. Thorndyke take them. Well, to answer you, Miss Gibson, small things, when magnified, develop quite unexpected characters. It is my hope to examine all copies of Reuben's thumbprint and see what secrets they have to share. Ladies and Jervis, my laboratory. After you, feel free to look around, but please, don't touch. Jervis, you insinuating dog. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Quite friendly with our fair friend. Pleasant, clever, easy on the eyes. I'd suggest you watch yours. What is this contraption? You're not an artist, Dr. Thorndyke. Well, I shouldn't think you are. You're much too clever to be an artist. <laughs> this is the equipment I will be using tonight to make photographic enlargements of the thumbograph. What was that, Lolly? Just having a quick word with Reuben. Dr. Jervis and Walter Hornby are walking to the hearing. You and I, with Reuben Hornby and his barrister, Ansi, will take a cab to the hearing. Do you object? Not at all. That's an excellent plan, actually. Jervis, a word before you leave. Don't let him pump you for information. A most ghastly business this is. I can't make heads or tails of it. Oh? You have Reuben on one hand, no motive and completely out of character, 
But on the other hand, a piece of evidence so strong you have no choice but to believe it. It's positively bewildering, don't you think so? The case is extraordinarily positive. I suppose it's not fair to ask if you see any way out. Uh, we're all anxious, naturally. Naturally? The truth is, I know as much as you. As to Thorndyke, you might as well interrogate a mute. No one knows the cards he plays until he lays them on the table. My uncle's condition is pretty miserable, with this horrible affair added to his own personal worries. Other troubles then? Haven't you heard? His financial affairs are a bit tangled at the moment. He'll be meeting the creditors tomorrow to determine the next action. What do you think they'll do? Probably let him go for the moment. But of course, if he is made accountable for the diamonds, there's nothing he can do but find a way to pay. They were valuable then. Twenty-five to thirty thousand pounds. There's the police court up ahead. I don't see the others. They must have gone in already. Let's hope this preliminary hearing goes well. The doctor is late. It's quarter to seven, and he said he would be home at five. Thank you, Bolden. I'll water down his tea as punishment. He's punctual to the minute. With this fog and London cabbies? Impossible. Oh, you're not hurt much, sir, are you? Just a uh, disreputable pool to look at. Some dinner and a fresh change of clothes are what I need. I have a plate of food in the oven. Banged up head and covered in dirt? Take a tumble down a hill? <sighs> Nearly so. It's a very odd affair, Jervis. I, I just picked my way through slippery mud to the foot of London Bridge, and I heard a lorry coming up from behind much too fast. I, I stepped back, but a man came up from behind, and the next thing I went sprawling into the road right in front of the lorry. A horse hoof caught my hat and half stunned me. Then the rear wheel struck my head and pinned down my sleeve so I couldn't pull my arm away. Oh, it was a mighty near thing, Jervis. Another inch or two, and, and I should have rolled out as flat as a starfish. And the man who tripped you? D disappeared into the fog. An old apple woman helped me to the hospital where old Dr. Langdale insisted I lay down in case symptoms of concussion should appear. That's all very odd, Jervis. I, I still can't figure out how that man at the bridge was able to trip me. Do you think it was intentional? Um, no, of, of course not. T tell me, how was your visit with Miss Gibson this afternoon? She was distraught to hear Reuben was sent to prison until his trial and insisted on going to Pentonville to visit him. That alone, I hope. No, she's coming by here tomorrow at half past one for me to accompany her. Ah, uh, good, that's good. Well, tell Reuben to keep up his courage and you keep my warning in mind. Until you discern the fair Miss Gibson's exact relationship with Hornby, I suggest you mind your eye. You're not coming? Uh, another time. I've had a knock on my head, and although I feel none the worse, I, I do need to take precautions. Rest and a light diet is all I'll have tomorrow. I remembered something about the robbery, Dr. Jervis. It's silly, but Mr. Hornby reminded me of it the other day when he was telling me about his losses with the mine. Nothing you think important to tell me is silly. A few days before the robbery, I was in Mr. Hornby's office tidying up and cut my finger. I didn't notice it until blood was all over my hand and I nearly fainted. Reuben found me laying on the floor, trying to regain my composure. He was in such a panic to stop the bleeding that he rooted around the desk and smeared some blood on a few papers. Ah, that may be significant. 
Thank you. Do you think perhaps one of those papers made it into the safe by accident? Without knowing more about the papers, I couldn't say. Mr. Lawley came to dinner last night and took Walter and I aside. He's certain Reuben will be convicted. There's no guarantee of that. Thorndyke always seems to have something up his sleeve. Post has come. There's a small package for you. Odd, I'm not expecting anything. Let me see. Why do you examine the posts so closely before opening them? Carefully cultivated habit. You can learn a lot about the sender by observing. This package, for example. Suffice to say, I know enough about typewriters to know the address label was typed with a literary typewriter, not the sort used in a business office. The typing is riddled with mistakes, and the label has been cut down to size, meaning he wants me to think it came from the company on the label. I'd wager he probably purchased recently a Blickensdurfer typewriter fitted with a literary type wheel. I've never heard of that typewriter. What makes it special? It has an interchangeable type wheel instead of keys. Your favorite brand of cigar. Hmm. Another anomaly. An East Indian cigar sent by a West Indian grower. A fine cigar, but but look here, Jervis. Use my pocket magnifying lens. A small hole, as if a wire was pushed through the center. Let me just slit the cigar open. Ha <laughs> yes, there we have it. White powder. That must have been put in by a hypodermic needle as a liquid. Our ingenious friend again. A thoughtful soul and original, too. I shall have to have a firm word with him if he becomes troublesome. Becomes? He's already pushed you under a speeding lorry and now this poison cigar. He's trouble enough and should be arrested instantly. Do you know who sent this thing? I can form a pretty good guess, which is not the same thing. He has given me several clues as to his identity. Is that it? More facts for a better hypothesis? You catch on quickly, Jervis. I don't like the thought of you on the streets with somebody trying to kill you. I don't intend to be easily accessible until the trial next week. Mrs. Hornby, Miss Gibson, how are you this morning? I'm all right, but Mrs. Hornby is worried she'll say something damaging to Reuben's case. Oh, I've been in such a state since Lolly sent over a subpoena. Thorndyke arranged to have me escort you both to the courthouse. Would you prefer a cab or walk? Walking, if you don't mind. Nervous energy. That awful Mr. Lolly won't say what they needed me for in court. I suppose it's regarding the thermograph. That's what Walter said. He's such a good boy. Very upset over Reuben's case. Thoughtful and sympathetic. He asked me all I knew about that horrid little book and took down my answers in writing. Then he wrote out the questions I would most likely be asked and my answers to them. I made him print it with his machine so I can read it without my glasses. Does Walter have a printing press? Not exactly. A Dickensblurfer, I think it's called. Ridiculous name, isn't it? Lots of small round keys you press down. Walter got it from a literary friend a few weeks ago, and he's hitting along handsomely. Here's Walter's paper. Just take a look and give me your advice on my answers. Is something the matter, Dr. Jervis? Mrs. Hornby, this first question. You say you bought the thumbograph at a railway station, but you told me yourself that Walter bought it and gave it to you. That's what I thought, too, but Walter was sure it didn't come from him. But it did. I was there. Oh, must change my answer at once. 
It would be best to forget about the paper. <clears throat> Dr. John Evelyn Thorndike, please step into the witness box. Finally, I couldn't bear another round of accusations. Sure. You are attached to the medical school at St. Margaret's Hospital, I believe, Dr. Thorndike? Yes. I am the lecturer on medical jurisprudence and toxicology, and my private practice is in medico-legal inquiries. You have the prosecution's case regarding the drops of blood found in the safe? I certainly do. And what is your expert opinion on the condition of the blood? I should say there is no doubt it has been artificially treated. Duly noted. What do you know of fingerprints? <laughs> I have paid a great deal of attention to the study of fingerprints. Well, you have heard Mr. Singleton and Mr. Nash of Scotland Yard's Fingerprints Division. Two experts swear that the mark on the paper was made by the left thumb of the prisoner. Do you agree with that statement? I do not. I am convinced it was not made by a human thumb at all. By what means do you consider the mark was made? A carefully crafted stamp, sir. You believe the print is a forgery? Yes, that's right. It's shockingly easy to do and indistinguishable from the original, even by experts. Are you prepared to furnish proof? Yes, I am prepared to execute a counterfeit of the prisoner's thumbprint in the presence of the court. Well, how do you propose the comparison be made? I've brought some sheets of paper, each ruled into 20 numbered squares. I propose to make 10 counterfeit prints and 10 original and have the experts examine them and tell the court which are genuine. Would the expert witnesses withdraw from the room while the paper is prepared? Thank you, Mr. Nash and Mr. Singleton, for your opinions on the 20 fingerprints. There is a question I should like to ask. The conclusions of the expert witnesses, arrived at by individual judgment, are practically identical. And yet, in every instance, they are wrong. Impossible! Please refrain from outbursts, Mr. Singleton. Now, Dr. Thorndike, please explain these results. A stamp is merely a stamp with no texture or variance, exactly what is looked for in forgeries when there is no other significant difference. I used that assumption to make each of the 20 stamps as varied from each other as possible, but was quite careful to put Reuben Hornby's thumb down in exactly the same position on each box. You are saying the real thumbprints were nearly all the same, while the forgeries presented considerable variations? Yes, sir, precisely. Have you more to say to the court? The fingerprint held in evidence is a forgery, and I can give you three reasons why I know that. First, no fingerprint in fresh blood would be so clear. The only way for such an impression is by using a roller and plate like I have for the ink. My second reason is that careful measurements show the fingerprint is a fortieth of an inch larger than the genuine one I took from Roger Hornby in the presence of his lawyer. I have enlargements of the two photographs for your examination. The third fact, and most important, is what exposes the forgery and to some extent the identity of the forger. You will notice a minute white space in one of the ridges of the enlarged fingerprint. Yes. By God, that is a small thing to notice. It appears to have been made by the original fingerprint, a loose fiber of the paper stuck to the ink of the thumb, leaving behind the white void. There is only one undisputed print belonging to Reuben, and that is in the thumbograph belonging to his aunt. Here is an enlargement of that print. Do you notice the identical white space? Most interesting. And you can explain this? I suspect the forger made a stamp from the thumbprint from the thumbograph. 
He then obtained animal blood, which he put in a plate and roller and made a stamp of the thumb on the letterhead of John Hornby and left it on the office floor when he absconded with the diamonds. Oh, Reuben, I can hardly dare believe you're really free and cleared. No small thanks to Drs. Thorndike and Jervis. We never doubted, Reuben. Never for a moment. I'm frightfully glad this is over. We all are. Thorndike, a moment. That paper Walter gave is apt to read. It's the same typewriter as the address label of your poison cigar package. I saw him beat a hasty retreat from the courtroom toward the end, followed closely by Inspector Johnson. I don't expect Walter Hornby to be a nuisance anymore. It was him all along, and to put the blame on his cousin. I should like to know more about what you talked about in the courtroom, Dr. Thorndyke. Although I didn't understand most of it, it's quite confusing. How do you keep it all straight? Reuben and friends, I should like everyone to come over to my home for a luncheon. How kind of you. Polton's gone off to get a large cab, but it won't hold all of us. It'll hold the four of us, at least. Dr. Jervis, you will bring Juliet, won't you? You don't look so delighted over your victory in court as I expected. Delighted, yes. But not proud. You ought to be proud. You've done so much for us, I couldn't begin to repay you. And you'd made someone else quite glad. Who might that be? The woman Reuben is going to marry. The woman? Marry? Is something the matter with that? I assumed he was to marry you. But I told you most explicitly he was not. So you did, but I thought that... You thought I would lie about that? No, never. Uh, Oh, you've made me a happy man. How? Haven't you wondered? Or guessed? I've fallen hopelessly in love with you, Juliet, from the first day I met you. I did wonder, but then I thought perhaps I thought wrong when you acted so coldly toward me. It was only the mistaken belief you were to marry Reuben that kept me distant. How could I steal a man's hope and joy while he was in such misfortune? Can you forgive me, Juliet, for being such a fool? I'm not sure it was quite silly of you. You are forgiven, Christopher. Shall we continue our walk? We'll be late for Dr. Thorndyke's luncheon if we do. The scoundrel has been hinting at it for weeks. The Mysteries of Dr. John Thorndyke, written by R. Austin Freeman, adapted for radio by Heather Elliott. Starring Dave Johnson as Dr. John Thorndyke, Roy Nessel as Dr. Christopher Jervis. Also in the cast were Cordelia Cloak as Juliet Gibson, Beth Greaterex as Arabella Hornby, Michael Ingalls as Court Judge, Bob Helling as Harold Singleton, Reed Thompson as Reuben Hornby, other parts played by Mark Cronin, Steve Abrahamson, Innocencio Valderrama, and Jim Galland. I'm your announcer, Ryan Barker. Sound design and dialogue editing, Jay Charles. Recording engineer, Kevin Hughes. Recording technician, Roberto Wiley. Production assistant, Betsy Charnas. Associate Producer, Robin Condelario. Produced and directed by Joseph C. McGuire. Recorded in partnership at KSVR Studios in Mount Vernon, Washington. This was a Radio Theater Project presentation. <laughs>